CFB Paint back for another episode. Welcome back. We've got Steve Court and Brian all on the pod today. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe or follow us because we are in season preview. Uh, we're getting close to week zero. It's where we want to be. The long night of no college football is almost over. And today we've got two conference previews for us. We've got Pig 12 uh, starting off the show, and the back half of the show will be the Pac-12. So going over who we think is going to be at the top, who's going to win, who are the top players that are going to emerge, uh, and the coaches that will help to shape the story around those conferences as a whole. We're going to go ahead and start off with Steve and just start at the back half of the uh, of the conference, how we see the bottom filling out. So Steve, give us your picks 14 through 8. Corey, you can give us next, and then I'll follow up. Yeah, so I've got, uh, as the cellar dwellers in the Big 12, I've got the Houston Cougars, uh, mass exodus from the portal. I, I, I think that's uh, a sinking ship and everyone's trying to hop off. Uh, so Houston Cougars at 14, at 13, Cincinnati, undergoing a coaching change, lots of transfers out. Um, not sure I trust Emory Jones at quarterback. West Virginia is my uh, 12th best team. Again, I think they're hitting the reset button next year with a new coach, potentially. Uh, after that, Iowa State, some uncertainty around player availability with the uh, potential gambling suspensions. Who, who knows what comes of that? In the 10 spot, I've got BYU. Again, there's a group of teams here that I think are all somewhere between 7 and 5 and 5 and 7. That uh, We'll see how that order shakes out. After that, I've got Baylor feel pretty good about them being sort of middle of the pack and then Kansas in the eight hole to be right in the middle of the conference. All right, Steve, I've got uh, some similar bottom dwellers to you. And then we have some in the middle, we have some discrepancies, but West Virginia is my bottom dweller. Uh, I expect Neil Brown to be fired week three, <laughs> something like that. And yeah, we kind of move on from there. I got Cincinnati. Welcome to the big 12. Scott Satterfield. Welcome to the big 12. I just don't think they have the talent quite to measure up to this level. Um, I've got Houston uh, there at 12. Um, like you said, kind of everybody jumping ship. I, I too, am not high on, on Iowa State. I think the win total for Iowa State projected total is like five and a half. And let's say like two of those are going to be in, not in the Big 12. So <laughs> that'll be interesting to see where they end up. Um, Oklahoma State, I have is number 10, which surprisingly in the media rankings, they had a first place vote, but I, I'm not super high on them. I think this is Mike Gundy's downfall. He's going to start going downhill from right now. Um, but we'll see what happens. I have Texas Tech next. And then I'm a little bit higher on, on BYU than most people are. I think I've seen them ranked from like, you know, 11, 12, 10 ranking areas. Steven, I think you had them at what, 10? I'm at 10, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit higher. I think Keaton Slovis can, can lead this team. Uh, they have some good uh, weapons, but uh, he's got to play up to his potential that he played at USC early on so they're, they're your eight team they're my eight team awesome right on circling back down to the bottom my number 14 i'm, I'm with you Corey, on neil brown getting fired early on in this season west virginia is the bottom dweller for me cincinnati houston and i think through there Corey and i have the exact same list um and this might be where we differ um i have ucf down at number 11 this is not one that I think is popular. As far as I was searching, doing my research, I'm like, a lot of people think this will be the best newcomer of the of the bunch, of the four. Um, but we can discuss that later. Number 10, I have BYU. Uh, number 9, Iowa State, which may be high. We'll see what, what uh, penalties come handed on down. Um, and then 8 in my 8 spot. So just beneath that uh, halfway threshold, I have Baylor. So first thing that sticks out to me, 
there, there's a few things. Corey, you have Texas Tech in your bottom half, uh, a team that's a, a fun dark horse candidate for the media these days. What has you mm-hmm. looking a little bit more on the on the negative for them? It's not so much their team. It's so much that I'm a little bit higher on other teams than than, than other people are. I, I kind of expect like uh, – I mean, I'm just throwing people that I have above them. Baylor, TCU, I, I don't expect them as much as drop off as, as people expect. I'm high on Kansas. If they don't lose Jalen Daniels, which I'm hoping that and praying that they don't this year, like that team is you, – you never know if that team's going to beat you or not. Um, and then, I mean, you got K-State, Oklahoma, and, you know, and Texas. So I don't think it's unjustified. I'm just a little bit higher on a few teams than other people are. No, I think that's totally fair. Um, Steve, your, your thoughts on that Texas Tech one. And then I want to get your thoughts on Houston being at the bottom, a little bit lower than Corey and I have them. Yeah. Um, so for, first, yeah, the Texas Tech one, I, I do think is, it's interesting. I feel like I go back and forth on that team. Number one, I, I love the trajectory of the program. I think that they're on the rise by, by any measurement They're they're, they're going to be a team to, to be reckoned with in the new look big 12. I just, they, I think the hype typically arrives a year early and I think that might be what's happening here. So we'll see. Again, that schedule's pretty challenging, and they might be pretty beat up through it all. I mean, you, you host Oregon. That's obviously in the non-conference, but it, it's still a game that might take a toll on your team. Um, that's tough. Close the season out at Texas. There, there's some really challenging games in there, so that, that's the part that it makes me a little nervous to, to rank them super, super high, and I think you kind of can see that from our, our win totals draft, like, I'm big on them long term. I don't know if I'm huge on them just specifically this year. Speaking to the question about having Houston at the bottom, I don't know if they're going to be able to field a full offensive line. Like they at one point had three offensive line, three scholarship offensive linemen on their roster with transfers out. I think they filled those in, but I will be honest, I have not been paying that close attention. Uh, it just seems like things are not going in the right direction for Dana Holgerson there. And it wouldn't, sh- wouldn't stun me if they were to hit the reset button, uh, especially uh, this is an opportunity for them to say, you know, there's a step up in competition and we need to make adjustments accordingly. Last year was, a, I think, a bit of a disappointment for most Houston Texan or Houston Texans. Wow. Uh, most, most Cougars fans out there. Uh, Brian, I think you were the one that said they could be a, a dark horse for a BCS bowl, and th- that just wasn't the case. And the schedule's really tough, uh, and so it would, would be one that I would watch. Like, how, how much does that team care heading into the month of November? I'm I'm not sure how much. We'll have to see. Yeah, definitely a team calling it quits before the end of the season can can tank it real fast. And, and yeah, last year I thought like, oh, this is a ten win team. I took them really high in our win totals draft and didn't bite me super bad, but uh, w- would have been helpful to, to try and bridge some of the gap between me and Corey, although it was a, ultimately a chasm at the end of the day. Um, Corey, you mentioned BYU, and you're a little bit higher on them than a lot of the other, I guess, a lot of the, the general media is. I think they're a really interesting one, because I could, like, to me, they're the biggest mystery in the Big 12. Like, I could see that going either way, where they go in, they step up in competition, and just get beat down uh, pretty badly as you'd expect a newcomer to. But also I see like Keaton Slovis has potential to be good. And that's the thing. It's like, it's, it, I think a lot will weigh on, um, I guess what will, will tilt on how he performs. Cause I like the skill talent and I like their ability to block. Um, and they have 
a decent amount of talent returning on the defensive end in terms of starters. Um, we'll see how quickly Jay Hill can uh, get that defensive going in the system that he had set up at Utah State. Um, we all know he's worked under Whittingham at Utah and, and what success Whittingham has had uh, in these years and with the salty defense they've had there in Salt Lake. For me, they're the, easily the hardest one to place on this list um, because I could see the potential and it's just like, I don't know if it's going to quite make the difference or if they're going to come in and surprise some people. Yeah, you, you said you, it's a step up in competition for them. I feel like they're the one team that doesn't have the biggest step on competition. They average playing about six power five games a year for the last little while and they've played some top notch talent. They play some OK talent um, and then they play the trash like no offense, but like they haven't been able to play the other teams being independent. So I think they have that advantage. I do think their major, major weakness is along the defensive line. Like, are they going to be able to stop the run? And like you said, new defensive coordinator, can they adjust? Can they find a way to do that? But in my hopes, what I'm thinking is their offense potentially can outscore their defense. And if they can do that, then I think they can hold, hold them, hold a good spot within this big 12. Um, But I agree. They, they are a mystery because there are a lot of questions and we haven't been able to consistently compare them to, a conference USA or, or whatever conference they were previously in. They played a lot of times the Pac-12 teams and still hold, held their own. So, Yeah, it's funny to me that BYU is going to have to be successful in the Big 12 by being the quintessential Big 12 team by scoring a lot of points and just doing just enough on defense. Yep. Uh, so we'll, we'll see We'll see if they can do that, if they're up to the task. But I, I just think it's like, yep, this is what the Pac-12, Pac did I say Pac-12? What no, the Big 12 is, is known for. Okay, good. Well, now I made the mistake. But uh, I just think it's funny that they're going to be able to perhaps showcase how well they belong by having a, what I think could be a pretty potent offense and a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty limp defense. And they kind of within the last little while have always shown that they can win close games, like win by one, two, three. I think like two years ago, they had like four wins by a grand total, like six points total. And so like they've shown that they can win those close games, that they have that of tenacity and stuff like that. And I think that carries over. I think that's a culture thing more than a, just individual players. Well, we'll see how things play out for the Cougars this fall. Um, unless there are any other things we want to talk about in the bottom half, let's move to the top half. Uh, those who we think are going to finish at the top of the conference. We'll keep the same order. Steve, give us your countdown, 7-1. to one. We'll have Corey follow, and then I'll take it from there. Yeah, um, it was interesting that Corey had Oklahoma State in the bottom half of the conference. I have them just on the higher side of it, so Oklahoma State at 7. Uh, really, it boils down to I don't really trust a whole lot of what I'm seeing from Oklahoma State. But I look at that schedule and it's awful friendly. And so it's it, it's kind of a balancing act for me. So I think they'll finish somewhere in the middle. I've got them at seven. At six, I have UCF. I was a little surprised, Brian, to see you have UCF down at 11. I think they've got a lot of Power 5 talent on that team. If they're able to stay healthy, I, I don't know if they have Power 5 depth, but they do have Power 5 talent. Lots of transfers. That uh, Some of them just followed Gus Malzahn from Auburn. <laughs> and, and, and they've got some some real players on that team. And uh, if I if what I'm projecting is right, I think that they could be the next force to be reckoned with in the Big 12. I think that that's a, a sleeping giant if they are able to get it right because they've got a growing alumni base. I think we've talked about this in other uh, other videos, other podcasts. But so I, I, I'm bullish on their future, and and even in year one, I, I think that there's an opportunity for them to make some noise. At five, I've got Texas Tech. We kind of talked about my thoughts about that earlier. Uh, four TCU. I, 
I know that people are worried about the drop off here. I'm pretty confident in a lot of, in a lot of the transfers that they took and some of the returning players that they have. I, I'm I'm confident that they'll be able to put together again a pretty strong offense. I think the defense may take a step back, and so I'm not predicting, uh, you know, an undefeated regular season and a loss in the Big 12 title game. But I do think they're good enough to finish fourth in the league. At three, I've got Oklahoma finishing third. I do expect them to bounce back. Question is how much. I don't know if I'm ready to say they're they're ready to challenge for the league just yet. At two, I've got Kansas State, the Wildcats, defending Big 12 champs. They, that team looks pretty salty, and I think that they're well coached. They did lose some talent to the to the NFL. I think they've done a decent job in the transfer portal, uh, and I think that their recruiting is actually taking a, a nice little uptick as well. So, uh, again, another team that I'm excited for their future in the new look Big Twelve. But I think they're they're here to stay for the short term as well at that top tier. And ultimately, I've got the Texas Longhorns winning the league. All right. I don't think those are bad decisions. I don't quite agree with all of them, but I don't think they're bad. Um, at seven, I have Baylor. Uh, we kind of talked about Baylor kind of middling. Like, Steven, I'm not as – I don't think TCU is going to fall off as much, so I've got them at six. At five, I have UCF. I think I might be a little high on this one. I do think that they have the the talent there. Um, like Steve said, I don't know about the depth. But this is one a team that I'm bullish on, and maybe I'm letting it affect me long my, early, my long-term view, affect my regular uh, season view. Honestly, I think any if any team is going to dominate this conference, it's going to be UCF after Texas and Oklahoma leave because you're in Florida. You have the opportunity to, to compete for very good recruits, and you have the biggest alumni base, and it continues to grow. You don't have the biggest alumni base, but you have the biggest opportunity to grow your alumni base because they're the biggest school in the, in the country. Um, so, yeah, I have number five. Number four, I have Kansas. I think they have a hard schedule. They have a very hard schedule, and I think Jalen Daniels leads them to do some good things. I think potentially you, you're looking at nine and three uh, with this team. Whoa, I, I'm rooting for it. And then um, three, I have Kansas State. You lose Deuce Vaughn. Treshawn uh, Ward is not a Deuce Vaughn, but he is good, and he will. It, it won't be a quite that big a drop off. And Will Howard has proven himself um, in the last year, and so I'm excited to see where they go. I am not choosing the favorite Texas to be number one. I'm choosing them to be number two because I do not believe uh, – wow, in the coach. What's this coach's name? Um, Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian, yeah. Sarkeesian, I am not – I am a doubter in Sarkeesian's abilities to coach. I think he does a good job recruiting. I think he loses you games that you shouldn't lose so far. I, I'm, I'm My jury is out until he proves me otherwise, but I'm picking them at two because they have the talent to be there. And I am – predicting Oklahoma, Brent Venerables to lead the team, his team to a title, much to the surprise, I think, of most people. Yeah, it'd be a very welcome sight in Norman after last season did not go how they were hoping uh, at all. Not at all. Um, I'll jump in with, with my list. Uh, I, I, It's funny that you mentioned, Corey, like I'm, I think my future projection is coloring some of my current picks. I, I tend to be more of a – I. I buy into the hype hard on things. So if it's like this year's is going to be an up year for a team, then I'll, I'll buy in, even if it's not what I project long-term. Um, a good example, I guess, a team that I think will be good long-term, well, good is relative, a lot better than their finish this next season is Cincinnati. I, I like Scott Satterfield as a coach. It's just you look at the talent that they lost and the things that they have to replace. They got a long way to go. Um, but coming in at number seven, I have Oklahoma State. 
right there where Steve, uh, same spot. Not quite as high on Kansas as Corey. I got them at the number six. Uh, although Jalen Daniels, I think, is one of the best players in this conference. Um, at number five, I have TCU. I do see a slight drop off from last year, but nothing, nothing too major. They'll still be um, punching up on occasion, I think. And uh, it'll be interesting to see Kendall Bryles and, and how his offense looks in comparison. It'll, it'll be different than what we were used to with Garrett Riley last year, but he's been potent. He, he's been a, a good coordinator where he's went. Uh, Texas Tech, I have at number four. Uh, tough schedule, uh, tough, tough road for them, but I'm, I'm buying in. You know, this is the hype year for them. I, I, I'm a sucker for it, and I, I think, you know, they can make some noise and rattle some windows. Number three, I've got Kansas State, uh, the champions from last year. I just don't think they're going to quite have enough talent to uh, knock off the two big boys if the big boys can play to their potential, um, which I think that's always the if. Uh, is It's not necessarily saying, oh, who's just the most talented team, but I think Oklahoma and Texas will both perform well this year, so I've got Kansas State behind them. At number three, or number two, rather, I have Oklahoma, and number one, I have the Longhorns. Uh, you pick them much to your own uh, detriment. They haven't won in 13 years. Uh, but I just, every time I looked at it, I tried to find another way to look at it. And I just see too much firepower, too much talent, the depth of that QB room. I don't think an injury to a quarterback like last year will, will affect them as much. Cause they'll be like, no, you just take your time getting back. We've got Malik Murphy. We've got arch. Uh, yeah, I, I see Texas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do see Texas, um, winning out of top. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks as well, one of the things that gives me confidence in Oklahoma going at number two is Jackson Arnold, the true freshman who people have been raving about. Um, it was a real problem with Dylan Gabriel was out last year. Um, and Texas or Texas, Oklahoma was 0-5 in one score games last year. Um, even if you start to change that to 500 in those games, you're really starting to, to push up just a bit. And then if you have healthy quarterback play um, from a backup, even that that is quality or, or competent that could make a big difference in the year. So um, looking at those seven, I, I guess I do have some explaining to do with UCF. Uh, so I'll quickly start there and then let you guys uh, take off on other places that you want to pick apart. My one thing about UCF, and I, I agree they have the best talent of the newcomers of Houston, Cincinnati, BYU. I think the, the most uh, power five ready talent is at UCF. I am just such a non-believer in John Rice Plumley. Um, he's a great athlete. And Gus Malzahn is very clever in his offense. He, you know, Marshall, when he, sorry, when he was coaching Auburn, Nick Marshall was the quarterback. He also wasn't a throwing threat. And guess what? They made it to the national title. They beat Alabama. They won the SEC. Um, so I, I'm, I don't ever doubt Gus Malzahn, but I just think it's going to be so much more difficult in this conference being one-dimensional. And you are going to be relatively one-dimensional when you have uh, Plumlee as your quarterback. And so that's what I think is, potentially they run into, okay, now we're going from the AAC, we're moving into the Big 12. Yes, the Big 12s aren't widely regarded for their defenses, um, but I think you're just getting higher caliber athletes who are going to be able to stop that run and, and uh, make it so that a more balanced attack is required than what UCF brings to the table. So that's that's my one uh, bit of doubt there. But I'm curious what your other thoughts are on, um, on each other's rankings and, and how you see things going. Corey, we've got I'll you. jump in. Okay, I'll, I'll jump in real quick, Corey. The, the I mean, the belief in Kansas is inspiring, but <laughs> also, also just like ah oh, man, 
that that feels like a big boomer bust pick. Uh, and, and I'm a big like. Don't get me wrong. I would love to see that. Like as just a fan of the sport and knowing how awful they've been, I would love to see them continue to climb. Um, yeah, I, I guess my question is like, how did you justify that with the with the schedule? I'm gonna pull it up right here because I remember when I looked at it, I was like, oh man, that seems like a really tough road for, yeah, for the um, Jayhawks to navigate. So what you do have the opportunity is kind of get yourself kind of running smoothly. I mean, you start with Missouri state, Illinois, like Nevada, and then you have BYU and your talent should be a little bit better than BYU and BYU, I think comes to Kansas. So you're yeah. at least all right. If you start yourself on the right foot, then you run into the bus off Texas, which we, I expect a loss there. But I think, like Brian said, UCF, you have a good chance. I have UCF and Kansas right next to each other. Um, and I think that Kansas could potentially play better defense than than uh, UCF. And if you can make UCF completely one-dimensional, you can beat them pretty well. Um, I'm not a believer in OSU. A lot of people are. So I put, I have that as – if you want to go by win totals, it's like, all right, just in the Big 12, we'll say BYU is a win, Texas is a loss. UCF and Oklahoma State, I say, are half a win. So we're at two. Um, Oklahoma, I, here's the one thing that you, about this team is like, you could see them beating potentially a Texas and Oklahoma. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to count it as a loss, but then I don't think they lose to Ohio state, Iowa state. I'm not as big on Texas tech as you guys are. And then Kansas state, I, I believe they had a thriller of a game last year. Is that not right? Um, trying to think what the oh. score was. Oh no, it was not a thriller of a game. Kansas state beat them 35 to 10. Um, but I don't, I think Jalen Daniels was out in that game. So it'd be interesting to see with Jalen Daniels in the game, see how this team reacts to that. And then you play Cincinnati. It's there's two definite losses, but then everything else is completely winnable. And if you are a bit, one of the better teams, you're there. And a two losses in the big 12 puts you about four where I'm put them. So. Yeah, I definitely had a hard time. Uh, everything in sports is what have you done for me lately? And I had a hard time not, you know, tempering my expectations for Kansas because the last time I watched them, Jalen Daniels was a God in the bowl game. Uh, in the back half of that, he was just awesome. And so I was just like, this guy's the top quarterback in the NCAA. And it's like, well, no, that's not that's not accurate. Um, he's very good. But uh, I can't expect top-tier performance. He, you know, he didn't play well that entire game. He played well in the back half of it uh, to come back and, and give a fighting chance. Um, real quick, sorry to put you back on the spot, Corey, but uh, Oklahoma as the number one instead of Texas. Texas is the odds-on favorite. That's what everybody's pointing to. Uh, what, what do you think makes the – uh, is, is it strictly coaching that is the difference for you? For me, like, so their their offensive line, they had the way that team played that bowl game against Florida State was very, very impressive to me. You had a lot of backups that were now moving into roles. The offensive line looked very formidable. You had a, a, a outside tackle that handled Jared Verse pretty well, and Jared Verse is projected first-round pick. Um, I think that ability to run the ball potentially um, and the ability to throw the ball with um, – Wow, Dylan Gabriel. And then if he goes down, you have uh, the freshman that can step in. Like, I, I expect this offense to be good, but I really expect the defense to get short, shorn up a ton. I think Brent Venables is a very, very good coach. I think he didn't have the talent that he needed. And they've added some good transfers in the, in the transfer portal to kind of also bolster their, their, their team, specifically at linebacker. And I'm interested to see how this team does because, like, Brent Venerables is, is a, almost first a linebacker coach, and then that's how his defense kind of functions. And I think he has the linebackers to set himself up to be a very good team. Granted, you might not have the the, 
the cornerbacks that you need, but I think you have that middle three or so to kind of solidify your defense. And so I think this team is going to be a little bit better than, than a lot of people expect them. I do not expect this team to blow teams out. I expect them to win games close. And I, to be honest, I expect to see Brent Venables to potentially be a better coach than Sarkeesian. There were times when Sarkeesian last year would not run the ball and you got the best running back in the nation. And I'm like, run the damn ball, bro. Like, just go win the game. And he didn't do that. And I don't feel like Brent Venables with his team doing that or with, when he trusts his team that he'll be – he'll be the hindrance to his team. Um, so I'm excited to see how they really shape up on defense. And I expect a big swing. They were, they were awful on defense last year. They'll be a lot better. Yeah. I'm a big Venables believer on, on coaching on the defensive side of the ball as a head coach, you know, Jerry's still out, but uh, I've seen what he's done on the defensive side of the ball for many years now. And I don't think last year's any indication of, of what he can do and will do. And, and like you mentioned, like that's, uh, Stutzman, I think, is uh, the linebacker who impressed me at the end of last season. They bring in Dasan McCullough from Illinois, which sh- should be potentially even better than Stutzman. Like they, they will have that talent in the middle. Um, uh, I will do a quick note on Texas, just because we do have two of us picking them to be uh, the winners. I think Quinn Ewers, if we can see early season Quinn Ewers for them throughout the season, that's going to be a huge problem. He was awesome against uh, Alabama until he got knocked out uh, of that game. And then the talent on the outside they have is just unreal this year. They don't have B. John Robinson. They have good running backs, but having uh, Xavier Worthy, Isaiah Nair, um, Jordan Whittington, uh, the tight end, Jatavian Murphy. Um, yeah, the transfer from Jordan Sanders. Jatavian Sanders, thank you. Um, yeah, th- I so just... Th- there's so much that they have on the outside. Did I say 80 Mitchell? I don't know if I even did. Um, no, I, I threw him in there for you. Thank you. Uh, it's it's just baffling uh the not only the quality but the depth they have of uh of playmaker on that team so that that's the reason that I couldn't find a way over putting them in there but that doesn't mean I believe in Sarkeesian any more than Corey does um so I, and, and I think that's fair I think he there have been questionable calls throughout well and, and like okay well, I know we're going back to USC where he wasn't quite the same frame frame of mind but like you had the talent there and you lost games too so. I've seen where you've lost team lost the teams that are worse than you, and so I expect him to be up in the top. I have him number two, but I don't trust him to to win the games he's supposed to win all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's been a head coach for a super long time. I think it was the Cover Three podcast that said he's been a head coach for I think ten seasons and has not had a ten win season. From Washington to USC to yeah. now Texas. Yeah, those are, those are programs yeah. with ten win expectations. So. Oh yeah, that's that's a, a really a really decent thing to highlight. Um, and then I want to quickly touch on. Well, well, Steve, we'll get some thoughts from you. I, I don't think we've heard as much of you on this one. But before we do that, TCU is our. They're not our reigning champion, but they are our reigning playoff contender out of the Big Twelve. Sonny Dykes last year uh, was coach of the year in his his first season. I guess for me, like the the hiccup in putting them any higher in my list, so I had them at number five, is just kind of the vicious end of their season. Um, you are at Kansas State. I think you have an off week. Yeah, you have a bye week, and then you're at Texas Tech. Then you go to Texas, or sorry, you have Texas at home. You have Baylor at home, and then you go to Oklahoma. Um, I think if they could get off to a good start for the season, that might help them roll with some momentum into that back. Because again, that's, that's the last five games of the schedule. But just like a, a really tough stretch that you come into, that if you you know get a bad injury in the first game of that, you might drop four of those. Yeah, and, and for what I'm seeing, honestly, like, 
you're playing potentially like five of the top seven teams, top eight teams, like in, in that backstretch. It's going to be hard. But my experience, and and I think Steve's experience, like we watched Kendall Bryles at Florida State with absolutely no talent, and he was still able to do something and generate some type of offense. And so I'm excited to see what he does with playmakers and with actual talent. I mean, what was he at Arkansas State last year or Arkansas last year? What was he at? Yeah, he's Arkansas. been at Arkansas for three years Yeah, and, and had and, some good things there without when injuries weren't there for K.J. Jefferson. Exactly. And so I'm like, all right, he, he can make it work. Steve, any thoughts on the, the top half of this list that you haven't had a chance to, to dig into just yet? No, I think we, we pretty much covered it. What, I, what I've been doing while you guys have been chatting, um, do you want to see, hear the CFB paint, like the aggregate of what we oh, – Yeah, fun. please give it to us. Yeah. What's our aggregate okay. ranking? Can you show it so, on screen? I can. Let me hide some of this, or let me just move it. So it's like, a little I don't bit. want to give away my get... secret. Yeah, well, he's gonna... I mean, like, like again, the the process is pretty simple. It's just yeah. kind of assigning. So there's 14 teams, right? So a first place vote equals 14 points. Yep. A second place vote is 13, and, and so on and so forth. Give me just a second. Let me share my screen. You know, excellent podcasting when we have these dead periods a yep. little bit. You yeah, know. I'll pull it up real quick here. Can you see this now? At the same time, we're posting to YouTube, so you guys can pay attention. And you can see our Yeah, ju- jump to YouTube if you need to see it. If you're a visual person like um, myself, um, I'll zoom in. Let me just make sure that we can see this. If you're on Spotify larger. as well, the the video is the on. The video will be up there here. as well. So. so this is total. This is the number of points, and this is just the, the ranking, right? So at number one... We have Texas, and if you'll recall, Texas received two first place votes. I did not indicate that in here. Oklahoma received the second, or received one first place vote and is in the two spot. Third is Kansas State. It's pretty close. Uh, again, 39 points for Oklahoma, 37 for Kansas State. TCU uh, solidly in fourth. Kansas in fifth. Um, the, the high ranking from Corey is helping to kind of uh, pull them up just a little bit. Texas Tech. Uh, again, Corey at work here uh, between those two teams. Uh, UCF right in the middle at seven. Baylor uh, on the, the, the lower half of that, you know, s- seven top and seven bottom. Then Oklahoma State at nine, BYU at 10, Iowa State at 11, Houston at 12, Cincinnati at 13, and ultimately our cellar dweller, West Virginia. Uh, the Mountaineers have got quite the mountain to climb. <laughs> I like that. I, like uh, I can take a lot of credit for UCF not being just a little bit higher. Um, you see, they're they're only four points off from being in the seven or in the six or five spot. Um, yeah, and and me not having them at eleven time. certainly would have weighed on that quite a bit. I think yeah, I blame Corey for that. optimistic four, so you're good. <laughs> <laughs> this balances us all out. This is this takes out the extremes. So, uh, yeah, well, I, I'm excited to see how we do individually, and then how we do as a group. Uh, with the the order of finish, yeah, maybe maybe with all the brains together, we have a decent finish, uh, better than any one of us could have predicted. Um, staying in the Big Twelve, but shifting a little bit of the focus, we want to look at some of the awards at the end of the year. We're not going to dig into everything or give a full All American, but we want to know who the coach of the year is, who the offensive player of the year is, and who the defensive player of the year is in the Big Twelve. Uh, we'll keep the same order we've been going with. Steve, have you lead us off, and then Corey, and I'll follow it up. Yeah, I, I kind of retrofitted these to fit who I think the order of finish is. I think if Texas wins the league, Sarkeesian's your coach of the year. It seems like a pretty open and shut case, uh, unless Houston is a surprise team and goes eleven and one and gives them a real game in the in the championship game. 
I don't see that happening though. Uh, offensive player of the year, kind of, kind of by the same book, Quinn Ewers. If Texas is winning the Big Twelve, it's likely that he's leading them. Although it wouldn't stun me. Like if he was to go down, I don't think they're out of the race by any stretch. Like we talked about, the QB depth there is beyond impressive. Uh, so that could potentially be, uh, yeah, Quinn Ewers is my placeholder, but. Uh, you know, anyone within that QB room has, has the talent to make that happen. I just don't know if the others are, are quite ready to. Uh, defense player of the year, I've got Desan McCullough, the transfer from Indiana to Oklahoma. That That's a piece that Venables has proven. If you can get after the passer, I will put you in, in positions to put up some crazy numbers and to get drafted very high. Uh, I like what Desan McCullough can potentially do within that defensive scheme. Um, so for me, offensive MVP, like I kind of fit, fit what I picked out as my top, uh, numbers, since I do have Kansas so high, I have my offensive MVP being, uh, Jalen Daniels, um, kind of carrying Kansas a little bit, uh, to the top a little bit more, um, defensive MVP. It's funny that Steven had, um, the linebacker for Oklahoma. Uh, what was the name? Sorry. Desan McCullough. I hope I'm yeah, saying that Desan right. McCullough, yeah. Cause I have the other one. I have Danny Sussman. So oh. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Which one will come out? Like, I, but I agree. I'm like, I think, like I said, Oklahoma's defense is going to be a lot better than they were. That is what I have them carrying them to the end, and so I'm I'm picking one of their linebackers there. Um, and then coach of the year, if you go from six wins to ten, you got Brent Venables. Uh, that's got to be something successful. So, uh, so I, I was considering Sark for my coach of the year because again, I like Steve and I had Texas as the winner. Um, but I thought there's a chance that people just understand like, oh. There's remarkable talent there, and that's why they're at the top. So I went with Joey McGuire, um, who I believe was co-coach of the year uh, this last season. Oh, no, it was Sonny Dykes this last season. It was Sonny Dykes, um, yeah. But I went with him. Obviously, I have them finishing fourth. They have a tough schedule, and a lot is going on with that. So should they do well, um, as I anticipate they could, uh, I think he could run away – or not run away. He could come away with that trophy at the end of the season, despite not winning the big 12 or, or even quite making it to the title game. But if he makes a close run, uh, I think he could, could earn the honor. Uh, I do have Quinn Ewers as my offensive player of the year. I just think it's, there's so much he's working with. It would be a, a shame of a season. If he can't uh, at least lead them to the top two, make it to that, that big 12 playoff or big 12 championship game. I, I expect him to fully. And I think, his stats might look unreal at the end of the season. My defensive player of the year, I went out a little bit on a limb here. I was trying to think who's going to get big stats because you might have a great nose tackle, but likely not to win a player of the year unless they're getting a lot of sacks like an Indomitian Sioux. Um, and I wasn't expecting any safety. You know, I, I didn't see anybody in the secondary who I thought is going to run away with this one. I went with Colin Oliver at Oklahoma State. This one's interesting because it's a bounce back year that I'm looking for from him. 10 and a half sacks as a true freshman last year, big down season, um, something that we didn't anticipate, but uh, production goes down a lot, but they've replaced their defensive corner. They bring in Brian Nardo who runs a three, three, five. Colin Oliver is now being listed as a linebacker. And I don't think he's being listed as a linebacker to run out in space and cover. I think he's going to be coming from different angles. I think he's going to be rushing the quarterback on a regular basis. I think he'll get a high sack count uh, the way he did his freshman year, but not coming off the edge, coming through the middle, coming around the edge, whatever uh, different place they can disguise where they're bringing the pressure from. Uh, he's my pick because I think there's a chance that he he does huge numbers in the sack game. Um, 
and I think he has the mobility to to fit that linebacker role a little bit better. Um, but it will be down to how, how quick can they really get on the same page with that defense. You're implementing not only a new defense, but defense that most of these players will have not played at any level of football in their life. So there is a learning curve there, but I'm I'm going to stick with, with Colin Oliver for my pick for Defensive Player of the Year. With that, that's going to wrap up our Big 12, unless we have any last notes on it. All right, we'll keep it moving. We're going to talk about the Pac-12 for the back half of the podcast, and we're going to keep a similar style that we did with the Big 12. We're going to start at the bottom, work halfway up, and and assess where we're at. So we'll start with Steve. If you can give us your 12 through 6, this is a 12-team conference. Sorry, 12 through 7, uh, then Corey, and then I'll follow up. Awesome. I This one, I, I'm actually really curious to see what the bottom looks like for everyone because this one I think could go a lot of different ways. I went Stanford. I, I think Troy Taylor is an awesome coach, clearly making waves on the recruiting trail. It's going to be a brutal year. <laughs> I think it's going to be a brutal year. Again, buy stock in the future for Stanford. I think he's going to do some pretty neat things, but not in year one. So Stanford is at the bottom for me. Uh, at, at the second to bottom, I've got Arizona State. I think it may take a little bit of time to, to circle the wagons and, and put together uh, a competitive team there in uh, or for for Kenny Dillingham in in Arizona um, or Arizona State, I should say. Uh, at the ten spot, I've got Colorado. This is there's variance on this one. They could be at the bottom of the league. They could also be right in the middle of the league. Uh, I think it depends on a lot of things like how well their starters stay healthy, uh, how well they gel as a team, knowing that most of the major contributors didn't even go through spring practice with the team. So uh, there's a lot of variance there. So I've got them kind of somewhere in the middle of what I think the the possibilities are for Colorado. Uh, at the nine spot, I've got Cal. Like some pieces, but don't love uh, you know breaking in a new quarterback. And, and again, they've kind of... Uh, you know, they, they kind of just sort of been a, a, a middling program the last several years. And so that's where I got them kind of in that lower bottom third or so of the league at eight Washington state. I believed in them last year. I I'm, I've got less belief in them this year. I still think that there's a possibility they pop you know, Cam Ward's got plenty of talent. I think the offensive system is going to be one that suits him, uh, but I'm just, I, I, I'm now in, I got to see it to believe it mode. Uh, one that I've seen enough of it to believe in is Arizona. I, I, I think that they are kind of slept on, and I just don't understand it. They put up points. They put up numbers. Uh, yeah, there's work to do defensively, but, man, you had a, a wide receiver core last year of Dorian Singer, Jacob Cowing, and Tateri Roa, McMillan. Wow, I really struggled with that one. Um, but, like, they're gonna they're gonna put up some points, uh, and I think Jed Fish is is really building something there at Arizona. So um, I think that they're gonna have a surprise season, and by surprise season, I think they're a bowl team. So it's kind of kind of within within reason, but I've got them kind of finishing middle of the league. Um, I find it surprising that we have pretty much generally the same teams in the bottom. I just don't have the quite exactly the same order. Uh, like you, I agree. The Fighting Trees, Stanford's gonna be the bottom. Um, I, I have ASU, uh, next were you, was that, did you have ASU in, in 11? Yes. Yeah. I think I'm excited for where this team will go, but I don't think they're quite there yet. And, and stuff like that, I, Agreed. I think I switched Colorado and Cal. I have Cal at, at 10 and Colorado at nine. I think this Colorado team is kind of 
going to surprise people because you don't really know what to expect with this team. Like, this team is, like, it's like something like 60-something percent of the team is, like, brand new. It's it's unreal. It might be higher than that. <laughs> but, like, I, I expect this team to have some depth, and it'll be interesting to see who can pass on this team because you got locked down corners like Kamani McLean and Travis Hunter. Um, so, at eight, uh, I, I'm, I'm with Steve. I think Arizona's getting better and going in the right direction. I don't have them quite yet. Um at the very top. I, I do believe in Washington state a little bit more. I wasn't burned by Washington state like Steve was last year. Um, so I, I have Arizona at eight and Washington state at seven. Well, I'll come in with uh, the sweep for Stanford and last uh, very similar sentiment to Steve. Couldn't agree more on, I, I see things going well in the future. I just don't see it being a pretty 2023 on the field. Uh, in the 11 spot, I have Colorado. My, my big concern is depth there. Uh, I, just, they just don't have that many players. And if you go down, that could be enough. I, I think some of the players that they've brought in are quality. Um, as a Tallahassee native, I see some of these Florida State uh, transfers that go over, and I would have been happy for them to start on the 5-7 and seven Florida State team from a couple years ago. And that would be a, a big upgrade for Colorado. Um, but they're just so thin. I, I'm I'm concerned about that overall. Uh, number 10, I have yeah, Arizona State. Florida State transfers, do you have – Four that are starting on the defensive side. Uh, unclear who's going to be starters, but you should have Derek McClendon, Brendan Gant, uh, Travis J, and and then Cooper, Amari and Cooper. I, I started Amari and Cooper. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, and you also have the the defensive tackle whose name is now escaping me. Oh, um, but yeah, yeah, I think you got two starters from that group. You only have two. Okay, who do you I have? I think so. I think you've got Brandon Gant and Derek McClendon. Okay. I think you could put – If Amari and Cooper play safety, maybe, but he, the whole reason he left Florida State was because he didn't want to play safety. So, yeah. But if yeah, it's well, Dion telling me to play safety, maybe I play safety. <laughs> Fair. If he says that'll Fair make point. you the best quarter of all time, then, then I believe him. Uh, yeah. Number 10, Arizona State. Uh, similar – you guys both have my 11. I'm – my only my doubts in Colorado have them higher. That's that's not a compliment to Arizona State, although I'm interested to see what uh, Dillingham can do in his tenure there. Number nine, I have Cal. Number eight, Arizona, so a little bit lower than Steve. And number seven, Washington State. Uh, they bring back a, a very productive quarterback. They have good pass rushers. But I just think the top six of this conference are a, a, a distance away from the bottom six. Uh, and that's why I think our, our bottom six is all just rearranged. Um, we have all the same teams. We have a little bit of differing opinion of, yeah, Steve's a little bit less believing in Washington State than I am this year. Um, I'm not as I, – I like where Jed Fisher's going, but I'm not as big a believer in this year. Like I, don't, I wouldn't see them going to a bowl. I think that would be an excellent success for them. Uh, but overall, we're, we're moving around the same pieces uh, in the bottom half. A- any thoughts or insights while we're in the bottom half, or do we want to jump straight to the top? One of the things I'm interested in seeing is is you had Kenny Dillingham a part, as a part of Florida State earlier on, and they were terrible at the beginning, and he had to be with Mor- Norvell and bringing in a lot of transfers to kind of reset the culture, reset the team, and their evaluation was pretty high. Their their hit rate was pretty dang high, and I'm interested because they were one of the top like four teams in, in, in the amount of transfers that they took, and so if he gets a high hit rate, does he have a chance to reset that locker room really quickly, and do they – produce better than we expect them to produce um or does it take time like it did with norvell to get to where you want to be and this is going to be a crap year and then you have that 
you, but you set the base for the next few years. I'm interested to see this because he's like, he almost got the blueprint handed to him. Here you go. Yeah. Good point. I just, I, it, for us not having talked about this before, our, we're all kind of on the same page. Like, g- give or take one slot or two. There's not as much variation in this conference. And I think what, to me, that speaks to is the separation of, of the upper crust of this conference compared to the Big 12, where I expect a little bit more parity, but maybe that upper tier of only being like three or four teams, whereas in the Pac-12, I've got four or five that I can really see making Yeah, noise. and to be fair, our picks, our bottom picks match the media's bottom picks as well, and there is that significant gap in points. Like, you go from... if. If at five you have three hundred nine points, at you see at six you have two hundred forty eight points, and then at seven you have one hundred eighty six. So it's like a huge drop off from where teams yeah. are, are predicted, and so we kind of match that. So we've confirmed we've got the same top six. Uh, the interesting part will be where each of these teams falls because I was talking to Steve, and we weren't talking specifics, but about prepping for this podcast. And for me, this is the toughest conference to call. I can see several different teams competing at the top. I can see several different teams winning this conference. But where I ultimately have my predictions lie, we'll we'll see in just a moment. So we'll have Steve Sarasoft give us your six through one, then Corey, and I'll follow up. Yeah. Um, so at six, I've got Oregon State. Um, now, uh, faithful listeners of the show will know I took them in our win totals draft this last week. And really, I think it's a part of why they're compelling there is I expect a, a clean sweep of their non-conference and so that i think will bolster that win total but within the conference again it's it's a reasonably manageable schedule but there are some some pitfalls along the way uh are really kind of a, a coin flip between them and my number five pick who is ucla uh, this is one that i think ucla has some some upside beyond this I, mostly I think that they're going to be held back because of some unknowns. We don't know who the quarterback is and you know, what kind of play you're going to get from that quarterback. Um, if they're going to be able to run the football quite as effectively without Zach Charbonnet, it, there's a, there's some, some questions there that I think if they get answered in the middle, you know, in the first third of the season, my opinion on UCLA could change positively or negatively. Um, I, I guess that's true for any team, but uh, especially them, since they, I just feel like I have less certainty around what the Bruins are going to look like in 2023 as opposed to some of these other teams. Um, uh, one team I'm certain that will kind of always cash in at least eight or nine wins is Utah. They're at number four for me. I, I, I think this is more less of a statement on Utah taking a step back so much as the upper crust of the league again just being bolstered by more and more teams that are uh, competitive at that, at that highest level. So I don't, I don't see Utah taking much of a step back from last year in terms of the quality of team. In fact, I think they might even get better, but I, but the, the, the three remaining, and I'll just go in order, Oregon at three, two Washington and one USC. I, I can see those being, you know, I, I just see them being competitive with Utah and not just competitive, but actually just being ever so slightly ahead of them. This, like you said, Brian, this is going to be a really fun league to see how it all shakes out. I've got Washington slightly ahead of Oregon. Really what that boils down to is Oregon plays a pretty tough road game at Texas Tech um, to kind of start kick off the year, which again, obviously doesn't affect the conference race itself, but you know, that's a lot of travel for uh, potentially just kind of starting off the season and the, you know, the matchup between these two teams is in Seattle. 
after a bye week for both of them. Uh, that's going to be fascinating to see uh, the, the the sort of chess match between Dan Lanning as, as a defensive tactician and, and what Kalen DeBoer is able to scheme up on the offensive side for the Huskies. I'm really excited to see it. I think Oregon has got better on the defensive side, but I don't know if they've got uh, inc- like monumentally better. Uh, and, and so I, I rewatched that game not that long ago, and I felt like Washington had two or three opportunities to really put the the nail in the coffin. If you'll remember, at one point there, I think they're up ten, and Michael Penix throws a pick in the end zone on first down rather than throwing the ball away as he's being chased. It's something like that. You'll forgive me. I watched it maybe two and a half weeks ago. I was just like, man, if he does anything else with it the game's complexion totally changes. Um, so that's I'm giving a slight edge to Washington here. It's kind of a weird hedge because I, I do expect Oregon, like Oregon, I took them in the win totals draft. Mostly uh, I think they can, they have the depth to perhaps withstand some injuries a little bit better than Washington, but assuming everyone's healthy, Washington maybe gets the slight edge there. So I have them in the two spot and Southern Cal, I think uh, redeems themselves, comes back from a disappointing showing in the, Pac-12 championship game where Caleb Williams, uh, you know, notably got hurt and, and that certainly changed the complexion of the game. But I do think you also see a much more complete team throughout the season. Looks like we lost Corey for just a second there. I'm going to dive in now. Oh, there That's it is. You, you take us. I clicked the mute button like five times and it wasn't working. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think like Steve, there's there's like your bottom tier, the six teams, and then there's a middle tier, those two teams, Oregon and UCLA, Oregon State and UCLA, and then there's the four teams that like who could win this. Um, I I am a little bit separate, different than Steve. I think I have Oregon State is six, and I have UCLA. I know you have, we have the idea of, like, who's going to be quarterback, but Chip Kelly kind of always makes it work. And I'm big on Carson Steele, the transfer out of Ball State. Um, Steven's like, who's going to run the ball? I'm like, that guy's going to run the ball. Mr. Alligator guy is going to run the ball. Um, for those of you who don't know, he has a pet alligator. Um, but anyways, like, I'm excited to see that team and see how they handle things. And then this is where we get to who's actually going to win these games uh, between these, these great teams. Um, and how crazy is it? I have Washington, Michael Penix Jr. I have faith in, I believe in, Kellen DeBoer I believe in, but there were times when, like you just said, in the Oregon game, even when he was in Indiana, he makes a little bit poor decisions when the lights are on, and I don't see him pushing them to the forefront. So I have them at four. I have USC at three. I know a lot of people have USC at one and two a lot of times, but I I believe in Lincoln Riley. I believe that the, in their ability to to score, but I believe that there are teams that are going to be tougher and better coached um, from a, from a defensive perspective. And I think they, if you can put some clamps down, um, you have a better good chance. And if you, I mean, if Caleb William goes down potentially, like, I don't know what you end up doing. I'm sure Lincoln Riley figured out, but you know, um, at two, I have Utah. I do not think I, I like Steven. I do not agree that this team is substantially better than last year, but you cannot like they've won t- two years in a row. They keep getting doubted, and there's a reason that they're always up there. Um, and un- until they get beat, I can't not trust them to be up there. Um, but I do have Dan Landing and the Oregon Ducks winning this thing. Um, they bring in Will Stein, 
from UTSA um, who kind of runs like a good pass and, and, and running, running mix, but it leans a little bit heavy on the pass. And they had a high completion rate at UTSA only second to Bo Nix from last year, or like third to Bo Nix from last year. Bo Nix had a pretty high percentage rate because their balls were thrown like pretty short to the line. But um, I'm interested to see him take that next step. I think last year he was like, uh, his, his interception to touchdown ratio was pretty significantly higher than most people expected it to be. And then the running back room is going to be good and solid. So I'm excited to see where they go. And then I have absolute faith in Dan Lanning as a defensive coordinator or defensive coach, sorry, and how he can help affect his team. And I believe that they are the team. If any team can make adjustments to the quality of teams that are there, it's this team. In reality, like they dropped that game to Georgia and then they were had two bad losses in the end of the season that kind of put them out of the race, but they were right there in the race to be in the Pac-12 potentially playoff championship, playoff game. Um, so I expect them to kind of tweak things, fix them a little bit and win the Pac-12. I'll come in at my number six with UCLA. Uh, j- just a, uh... A notch below these other teams. I, I really like Dante Moore. Um, I'm a very amateur when I watch a freshman play, or, or I should say high school football players play and the tape that they have. So not to knock an Arch Manning or a Nico who are unbelievably talented, but Dante Moore is the guy who I was like, that guy feels like he's ready now. Um, he not just like the raw skills, but seems to throw with great anticipation and things I see. Um, yet to be named the starter, so who knows if he'll actually be taking over for uh, the spot that is left by Dorian Thompson Robinson. Uh, but I have uh, U- UCLA taking a slight setback from how good they were last year. Uh, it's a temporary setback, not a long-term thing. Uh, they're going to be right in the mix of uh, any conference that they play. And now obviously next year it'll be the big 10 uh, with the talent that they have. Number five is easily my hottest take. And I have the Oregon ducks. I think last year we saw the best version of Bo Nix. I think we've seen a lot of worse versions of Bo Nix. Bo Nix, I think, went there to be with Coach Kenny Dillingham. And not to say that he won't get on well with Coach Stein, but Kenny Dillingham had coached him at Auburn. We're, we're breaking in a new offense, and that offense is very potent. I think the skill position talent is good. I am concerned about the defense. Uh, I think Landing can coach. It, it's, it's a matter of the Jimmys and Joes there, if he has the people there to do what he wants to do. It's, you know, I I wouldn't be shocked to watch this team go win the Pac-12. This isn't like I think they're terrible. I just think it's it's vicious competition at the top. So I've got Oregon State ahead of them in, in the state. So Oregon State at the four. Um, QB play should be improved. You bring in DJU. You're also really excited about the freshman Aiden Childs. So regardless, that's going to be an improvement for you. Um, and I think some parts of the schedule work out pretty well. You don't have a USC this year. Um, you're getting UCLA at home. There There are a few things that play out well for them. Um, but yeah, I just have them just, uh, beating out Oregon this year. Utah is my number three. You get Brant Keithy back Jaquindon Jackson coming back at running back cam rising. It'll be interesting to see, uh, how quickly he's recovered and, and what he's able to do after that ACL. It was an ACL. Is that correct? Yes. ACL injury at the, uh, in the last season. Um, but I, I, you can't count them out. They, they are really tough. They also have perhaps the best home advantage of any team in this Pac-12. It's hard to get a win at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Ask USC last year. Um, at number two, I have Washington. Uh, I think they've got maybe the third best group of pass catchers in the country. Um, it, it's definitely up at the top for me. Roma Dunze and uh, McMillan, whose first name I'm forgetting. Uh, some of the top wideouts you have. Penix was really potent last year, and I, I expect him to do it again. Uh, you also have a 
a good pass rusher who uh, this is a little tease for later in the show, I, I think is going to be very good and make a lot of noise and make a lot of problems for uh, the opponents that they'll face. But ultimately, number one, I have USC. Um, they're, they're a Caleb Williams injury and, and injuries can happen, but they're a Caleb Williams injury away from being in the playoff last year, away from being uh, the Pac-12 champions last year. And I think they, they are just that much better than the rest. Um, anytime I was going through and kind of counting wins and losses, Almost anyone who I saw with a head-to-head with USC, it was, you know, I'll, I'll count it as a percentage, but it was almost always a 0. .8 or a 0. .9. I just have a, a lot of confidence in Leak and Riley. I have a lot of confidence in the talent there. Um, and if the defense can improve at all or just, like, learn basic tackling, um, that's, they're going to be a real tough team to beat. So uh, that that rounds out my list. Um, curious your thoughts on uh, my, my Oregon. Am I out of my mind for thinking Oregon might be five? Or is that a real realm of possibility in your in your head? I mean, I, I do think that, like I said, there's that tier. But I these, like you said, this we have such different kind of top four or five. Like I, it could happen. Like it's not out of the realm of possibilities. Okay, then the one I want to I want to push on you, Corey. I'm very curious about your USC at, at number three. Um, yeah, yeah. Just no, go on, give us a little bit on that. Well, I mean, like Lincoln Riley has proven that he can win wherever he is at, and, and it's true. But I don't see this team being as good as last year on the offensive side of the ball. Um, they're probably going to be better on the defensive side of the ball, but they had to outscore teams. And you had to outscore teams like that weren't that great. And, and so I'm kind of like – and people are kind of aware of what Caleb Williams can do and how to kind of potentially – that you can come up with a new game plan of how you handle this. Cause we'd seen Caleb Williams a little bit over at Oklahoma, but we didn't really have a, the idea of like, Oh, this is the Caleb Williams we're going to quite get. Nobody was predicting Caleb Williams to be the Heisman winner. Um, and so that, 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 that I'm thinking like, okay, well contain him, keep him in the box a little bit and then don't let him scramble and cover, cover the guys and don't let, let those players burn you. Um, that's where I think you can potentially beat USC. Um, but I'm interested to see where it goes. I, I, to be honest, these these top four teams, any given weekend, could beat each other, in my opinion. So, I wanted to be different, and yeah, I no, don't I, I, I don't think it's a bad call at all. Um, I, I think it is interesting that USC, Washington, and Oregon all are, they're all in the second year uh, for the head coach, and so some of the things that they brought to the table that maybe weren't going to be foreseen before. Now there's a little bit of tape that, that teams can work with and try and design to stop it. So you get the jump on them in year one, year two, now your opponent's going to be as prepared as you were for them. Um, so it, I, I wonder if that plays a factor for any of these teams. I think the offensive minds there are, are really good and that might not make any difference. Um, but you guys both have a factor USC that will be in there. Oh, sorry, Brian. I didn't mean to cut you off. Do you guys both have a Was- USC and Washington as one, too? Uh, I did. Yes. So I'm the only one that doesn't have either one of those teams at my my one two. That's interesting and to me. It could happen. Like I, I that's the thing is like I, I'm in the same place you are where it's like yeah that that doesn't sound crazy. Like um, it's obviously I rate USC higher than you, but like oh, I very easy. These other teams have team. sufficient quality to beat them. You know. Yeah, and like I think they could drop a game that they shouldn't drop very easily. Talk like, about Southern this, Cal. Yeah. 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 The the question to me, the thing that jumps out is like stylistically, I feel like they're 
I, I guess it's not entirely true because Washington is, is more of a spread it out and toss the ball around a lot. But I, I still feel like there's, there's, there's holdovers on that roster at Washington from the days where they wanted to pound the rock and they have a physicality along the lines of scrimmage that I like both offensively and, and especially defensively. And so that's, that's the, to me, is the formula of any of these others that we've talked about in that upper tier, Oregon, Oregon State, Utah, or Washington, is like, can you bully USC on the lines of scrimmage? And that is a possibility, right? Like, what I'm banking on in choosing USC to win the league is that high-powered offense maintains the status quo. Maybe, maybe there's a little bit of an uptick. Uh, you know, they've got a couple of pretty special freshmen on the outside that I think will help. Uh, not to mention another transfer where they take uh, Arizona's best wide receiver from last year and just drop him into the offense. But I, I'm expecting some elevated defensive play, and I'm not, sh- not I'm not certain that we get it. We we think they'll be better, but also I saw that that Caleb Bullock was or Bullock was first team All Pac-12, and I don't know if you remember all of the missed tackles in the Pac-12 championship game, but I, I just don't know how that that and some of the, the miscues in the two-lane game, I, 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 the, the tackling is a problem. They're, they're not a physical team defensively. And so you get them against Utah, who wants to play bully ball, and it could be a real problem with Jaquinta Jackson, who is going to make you tackle. So there's there's risk in it, and I am just so thrilled to see that many of those matchups are getting played on the field on the regular season. Um, USC and Utah, uh, obviously middle of October, um, and yeah, there, there's there's some really fun. I, I think this, like you said, is probably the t- toughest one to shake out, just because I think there's so many ways that the top could shake out. Whereas in most conferences, it feels like you know, there's two or three real viable options. Yeah, for me, like, it's interesting that you guys are so big on Washington because I, I think Washington's skill is, is there, 100%. But I've just seen Michael Penix Jr. lose games that he should not lose. Like, at Indiana, they were he was a quality player, but they lost to teams that they shouldn't have lost. And then Washington, I feel like they kind of did the same thing. So, I, I'm like, I'm not quite trusting there yet. It's a, it's another Texas, with not with the co- coach, but another Texas kind of thing, like, prove it to me. Um and then, like, honestly, my Utah – I don't think Utah is the top talented team. I, like, having them at two, I think, honestly, you go, which talented, they might be, like, five or six in this league. But you cannot – no, maybe that's low. See, uh, maybe four. But, like, they – you cannot deny the fact that they are just a bully ball team and they are going to find ways to grind the game and they a lot of times find ways to win the game unless you throw an interception in the end zone against Florida. But you never know. Yeah, we'll see if that season opener checks out any different than last year when they're playing in Salt Lake City. Steve, I'm going to venture a guess and say that you've put together an aggregate ranking for us again on the Pac-12. Is that right? I sure have. Let me share my screen yet again. Yeah, so we'll have the first place votes that will have gone to USC and Oregon, uh, but kind of where the rest of it all shook out and and how much you know my hot take on Oregon is gonna deplete their ranking in our aggregate um in in our combined rankings we'll we'll see so yeah here sorry let me expand that so our predicted order of finish as as a group has USC at the top spot Washington at the two uh, so that would be your your Pac-12 championship game 
Oregon finishing third, Utah finishing fifth, the def- two-time defending Pac-12 champs. We have them finishing fifth. Well, I already don't feel four, good about it. Fair. Tie for four. Oh, it is. Excuse me. Sorry. Here's and in reality, it's a tie for third. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Good point. Thanks. Thanks for keeping me honest. Sorry. I looked at five here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Uh, all right. So in in fifth place, you have Oregon State. And it's actually a tie for fifth with Oregon State and UCLA. We kind of talked about those two being the tweeners between the bottom of the conference and the upper echelon. Maybe one of them breaks through. Uh, we, we've kind of got some differing opinions on that. But again, it's, I think, variants of only one or two uh, place, places. Washington State, That you can see the gap there where we've got the separation of the top where we're all in the 30s, then we drop to 23, then we drop to 17 for Washington State being the – being the seventh ranked team and, and kind of that lower half of the conference. Arizona then is at eight Cal at nine Colorado at 10 Arizona state at 11 and Stanford, the unanimous pick at the bottom at 12. If you look at the media picks, we are pretty dang close. Oh yeah. The media picked out USC one, Washington two. Utah three, Oregon four, but they're only separated by about 15 points. So it's 359 and 344. Although Utah has six first place votes and Oregon only has one. So that kind of tells you a little bit there. Um, Then they have Oregon State, UCLA, Washington State, Arizona, California, ASU, Colorado, Stanford. So they switch Colorado and and ASU and they switch Utah and Oregon for us. But like other than that, we like literally match the entire media. So Crazy. if you've listened to this full hour of the podcast, you may not have gotten any new information is what Corey's letting you know. Um, <laughs> we, I do want to do... Did any of y'all even read those lists? I did not look at a preseason predicted order of finish for either of these conferences. No, I looked I, at I, some overviews for the teams of like, here are the newcomers and kind of refreshing like, oh, who are the transfers again? Because there's some things that really catch up sure. on, but, but none of that. Yeah, I looked at them, but you can clearly tell, tell I took into account my own ideas because I don't follow them hardly at all. <laughs> Um, being past the hour mark, we want to quickly, we're going to dive just a little bit into Colorado and the future may be coming here. We're recording this on Wednesday, uh, on July 26th. Is it the 26th? So information may change by the time you hear this podcast, but there is some news out of Colorado that a announcement or a vote going to the big 12 may be imminent in the future. Corey, Steve, what are your, your thoughts on Colorado leaving the conference? Um, to me, like this fits with your, with your hire of, of hiring, uh, uh, Dion, you, you want to go out down the limb. You want to swing big. You want to go for an opportunity. You see the PAC 12 isn't the PAC 12 isn't announcing that they, they're a TV deal for a reason. Bull crap. Um, the reason is they don't have a TV deal right now. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a reason. It's not the reason he gave though. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But like, honestly, you, you see that, uh, you hired Dion this kind of fits in the vein, like take care of our school, figure out a way to find an opportunity for, to make us successful. And so let's go get in the big 12. If they're going to take us, they're going to probably eat a bunch of us. Anyway, we're going to already, already lose USC and UCLA to the big 10. Let's go secure our future and make sure we get a bag and kudos to them. Like, it sounds like it's going to happen already. And I'm pretty sure like I saw Bud Elliott post a, uh, like the water kind of jiggling kind of meme. And I'm like, is that in connection to this? Cause it came out like this morning. Um, I, but I think this is really going to happen. I think it happened. I think the announcement happens in the next two, three days. 
Yeah, kudos to the AD for Colorado. I think it's it's better to be an early mover on this one because uh, I think once one goes, the whole thing blows up. And, uh, you know, obviously it's not a done deal yet, but I, I expect it to be soon. Yeah, I think the musical chairs game, like the music just stopped, basically. <laughs> uh, so uh, my other thing, like, I don't know if you guys saw what I tweeted out from the CFB Paint account, but just like, what if the Big 12 gives, uh, gives them some... Uh, <laughs> gosh now i'm blanking on randy travis energy with the i told you so one of his best songs where it's like suppose i called you up and said i was said i wanted to come back home and then you say would you laugh at me and say i told you so i knew you'd come crawling back and asking me to take you in uh i would be yeah it's a good thing i'm not in the position of like a conference commissioner because i would just be like oh so, so you left for greener pastures and the grass wasn't always greener uh but I, I think it's a better regional fit. I'm excited to see that one's one. Most conference realignment to me has kind of been more of an annoyance than anything else. There, there's been things that have been exciting. Like I think Miami moving from the Big East was exciting just because it brought a more marquee team into the ACC. Obviously, it reunited them with – or didn't reunite them, but it brought them into the same conference as Florida State – adding some stakes to an already contentious rivalry game and and kind of put them, I think a little bit more regionally with some teams that probably make more sense from a geographic standpoint. So there's been pockets of realignment that I think have been helpful. Um, This, this potentially is one, uh, but I do think the dominoes are going to fall and there's going to be some, some odd teams left out or some odd universities left out. And that to me is a a little tragic. I I, I call me a, a sucker for tradition, but like, I, I am okay with Division One football being at least eighty teams, and and this this kind of gradual migration to two or three power conferences where it's maybe forty or fifty to me is I don't know. There, there's parts of me that, that that yearns for yesteryear, but um, at the same time, like it changes is always harder to accept in the moment, and, and some changes end up being better than I expect them to. So. I'm reserving judgment there. Uh, it's just going to be one that this, I think, accelerates some of the other shufflings of uh, of teams and, and finding a spot in the conference for a, a more prolonged period. We'll give so, – oh, go, go ahead. Just FYI, ESPN is announcing that the Big 12 voted in unanimously to accept Colorado, and so it's supposed to be finalized tomorrow. There we go. Updates here. Once you've heard this, this is already old news to you. Uh, we'll give greater yeah. updates as there are more conference alignment things that come along. We'll do a quick round to get our awards for the Pac-12 before we wrap up the show. We're looking at Coach of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year, and Defensive Player of the Year. Steve, Corey, then me in that order. Yeah, I'm going to stop sharing so I don't give away mine. Uh, But so for mine, I have, again, kind of the same philosophy that I had previously where, you know, if if USC wins wins the conference, I think, Lincoln Riley will win coach of the year. He did not win it last year. Kalen DeBoer did at Washington. Well-deserved, but I think that that would be something like really if they don't win it, he, he doesn't have a chance. So I think that's the only way that Lincoln Riley does. But if I'm projecting them to win it, I expect him to win it as well. Uh, offense player of the year, very vanilla here. Caleb Williams, reigning Heisman Trophy winner. If he leads them to the Pac-12 championship, probably going to win offensive player of the year. Uh, my defense player of the year is Lander Barton, linebacker, Utah. I love that kid's game. Uh, true freshman last year, did not play like a true freshman. 
And you've seen what Utah can do with really, really talented defensive pieces like Devin Lloyd. Uh, obviously, they're, they're different playing styles, but he's equally productive and, and excited to see what he can do in, in his sophomore year. Um, like you, I kind of followed my predictions with uh, with the coach of the year, Dan Lanning. If they Oregon gets there, there's no way you can't you can refuse that one. Um, and if they get there, um, I think Bo Nix is taking the next step, and I have him as my offensive player of the year. I think you could uh, easily give it to Caleb Williams, but I think it'll be if if Oregon wins, you got to give it to to Bo Nix. There's a, a fight about that kid. That's kind of fun to watch. Like he has that tenacity that he wants to win. Um, and Brian, I think, kind of alluded to my defensive MVP, uh, potentially Brandon Thrice, uh, along Washington. Yep. Yeah, um, yep. put up ten sacks last year. He's only played two years, and he's got and he didn't play a ton in the first uh, in, in his first year playing. Um, and last year, kind of had a breakout. Um, the interesting thing will be wa- to watch whether he gets double teamed or triple, like et cetera, kind of like how that's handled. But he does. He has a good outside piece uh, in Zion. I'm not going to try and say his last name to to a whatever that is. Yeah. So you can go look that up, Steven. Teach us how to pronounce it. Um, I'm on it. Yeah, but like so that having the uh, another defensive end that is actually quality and can attract attention to me, think it makes me think that he'll still be able to get freed up to to really really affect the teams. Um, even at the end of the year when people knew who what a threat he was, he was still picking up sacks and in games. So I'm excited to see how he does and crush it. So. Yeah, if you just combine those two lists, you've already got my my award winners. I've got Lincoln Riley uh, taking the coach of the year. Uh, if things go the way I have projected them to in my mind and how things will go, it would be a 12-0 season. Uh, that would end with them as Pac-12 champs. Hard to take an undefeated coach and not make him coach of the year. Um, offensive player of the year, Caleb Williams, I, I think we'll see. Uh, perhaps not a repeat Heisman uh, award for him because that's really, really hard to do with kind of voter fatigue uh going for the same players on multiple or in multiple years but certainly i think he'll be the best player in the pac-12 this year um especially if the projection of usc winning goes uh, all the way and then braylon trice at uh washington really can can get after the passer and that was one thing i looked at Corey. is does he have somebody to keep him honest on the other edge can is is there an ability that they have to keep him or to give him opportunities for one-on-ones. Cause that's really it. If you have somebody who's that's unstoppable, he's that good. Can he get one-on-ones? And I, I think they'll have the ability to free him up to do that. And he'll be just as much a factor this year as he was in the previous. Steve, do you want to give us a quick pronunciation lesson before we wrap? Yeah, it is Zion Tupuola Fetui. There you go. There you go. So just record that and play it for your friends. Anytime they want to know what his name is. Uh, for the rest of us, it's going to be CFB paint. We're going to wrap the podcast, big 12 and pack 12 predictions and preview this, uh, episode next episode. We're going to be doing more conference previews. So we're, we're locked and loaded till the season starts. We're going to be with you every week. So make sure that you're, you're signed in with us, uh, subscribe on YouTube, follow on the podcast that you or platform that you listen to us on the podcast for, give us a rating and we will see ya. Peace. Ball camp starts next week. <laughs>